Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hello, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. And for our Calvary Mac ladies, you will have a special treat because you are going to recognize this voice. My guest tonight is Sandra, and for those of you who are a part of the Calvary Mac family, you know her so well, and I'm sure in some way have been blessed by her ministry and service here. For those of you listening from another city or state or even country, I am so excited for you to get to meet Sandra. And right off the bat, I need to tell you that she has an entirely other identity that maybe those of you who have known her for years didn't even know about. So I'm going to let Sandra kick off by introducing herself, telling you her other name, and how she got that. So Sandra, welcome. And um, with that introduction, can you tell us your other identity? Thank you, Jessica. Yes, I am Annika Klanderud, author extraordinaire. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pen name that I've come up with. You know, people ask me a lot of times, why did you choose a pen name? Why can't you just write under your own name? Well, there's a few reasons. A lot of you who know me know that I have a pretty big family. I have 12 kids. So just kind of another layer of privacy. But also, you know what? Writing is fun. And I always enjoyed spying around. I don't know, just being undercover. So why not? A pen name is fun. So Annika is just kind of a spin on my middle name, which is Anne. So that's not too exciting. But then Klandrud, it's a family name. So it's Norwegian, actually. There's a town there you can go visit. And it's named Klandrud. So everybody who has that last name is related. So I just thought that was cool. I like the name. I kind of wanted to keep it. <laughs> so I kept it for my writing. Love that. That's so fun. I always I always appreciate the meanings behind names, whether there are given names or pen names or pet names or, or whatever. So you have been writing for uh, quite a while, I understand, but I'm curious now if we can kind of rewind the tape and go back to your childhood. And we're really going to focus on the story of you becoming a writer, your writing journey. And for those of you who maybe just fell out of your chair when you heard that she has 12 children, yes, there is probably quite a few other stories to Sandra's life, but we're going to focus on her journey as a writer and kind of hear how how her life fed into that a little bit. So I was hoping you could take us back to your childhood and tell us, did you always want to be a writer? When did that uh, begin? Has your journey toward writing been very linear? Has it taken lots of turns? So so many questions I have, but but let's start with your childhood. Yeah, really, when you told me, when you came, approached me with this idea of me being on the podcast, I wasn't excited about doing my life story, but when you talked about my writing journey, well, that's when I started to get really interested because I I thought, you know, if I can encourage another writer out there and if maybe they could see a part of themselves in my story, then yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to share that with everybody listening. And so, I mean, just kind of understand, and this is kind of going to be the foundation of, of my little talk today who I am and where I come from, just for me, centered around God, my creator, you know, and just asking the question of when did I come to know him? I really don't know. I don't know when I was saved, but I was raised by two Christian parents. And I just know that for me, life has been a conversation with God. And I've really been communicating with him for as long as I can remember. That's the thing that really fascinated me, This the whole idea of language. And so the fact also that he made the worlds by the word of God has always fascinated me because he could have used fingers to shape things and hands to mold things. That idea has always stuck with me and really just that's been very precious to me in my life because words imply ideas and thoughts and that he wants us to know he wants us to understand and that's how he made me and you and all of us and then of course he gives us his word which to me and it's alive you know the word of god to me that's just amazing that's the heart of life kind of the heart of who i am 
But rewind all the way back to when I was little. I've got to say, the first thing I think of is people would call me shy when I was in elementary school. I did not like that. I didn't like it because I think it implied that I didn't like people. I Maybe I didn't understand what was going on, which was exactly the opposite I felt of what was happening. I loved people. I really wanted to be around people and interact with them. But then I would also get hard on myself because I would say, well, you know, you did sit through a whole day of school without saying one word to anybody all day. (laughs) And then I would say, well, maybe I am shy. I guess the one thing that I remember is the Oregon Trail, that game. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) The game that we had. I grew up in elementary school, was going to school in New Hampshire. And, you know, 20, 30 kids in a classroom, one computer, and that was the game. And it looked like so much fun because people were dying of dysentery and they were buying oxen left and right. And I really wanted to play. But it was the one computer that was the one game. And it was like a free time. If you had free time, then you could play. Well, it was always the loud kids, of course, the talkative kids who said, I want to play, I want to play. And they got to play. And I just was the person who said, okay, I'll wait my turn. And turn never came to me. I was never loud enough. I didn't speak out for myself, say, I want to play the Oregon Trail. So I never got to play. And that was also the thing that I keep, I would keep going back to as a child to say, you know, you don't think you're shy, but you have never played the Oregon Trail. (laughs) You're kind of quiet. Maybe you are shy. So I didn't understand what was going on with that whole side of me. It kind of bothered me. It, It wouldn't let me go. And I'll come back to that. But my parents, I had two very bold, very outgoing, talkative parents. But I was raised in a very artistic home. So, I mean, earliest memory of my dad, he would take us to Ponderosa. The whole time my dad was writing, 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 like his life depended on it, on napkins. (laughs) Napkin after napkin, he'd go and get another napkin. And I just remember it was so important to him to get these words down. And I kind of understood that, you know, need to get things on paper. My mom is the most talented seamstress that I've ever met. She's also a really great artist. My mom would draw this just most amazing lifelike portraits in chalk, charcoal, and they'd be hanging. I mean, I've never, I don't remember watching the Dukes of Hazard, but all of their faces were hanging <laughs> on the walls growing up. I mean, they were amazing pictures. And, you know, we would spend time just in the house drawing and singing. There was always music. So yeah, my siblings and I were very artistic and we would we would always have artwork and books just strewn across the floor. And I remember one time my uncle came to visit our house and he got upset because we had Bibles on the floor. Well, that's where we would just kind of pull up a section of the carpet and open the Bible and, and we would just sit there in our corner of the carpet and And we would highlight our Bibles and underline and, you know, take notes in notebooks or whatever scratch of paper we had, you know, and in my mind, all of this went together, even now thinking about it, it all makes sense to me that the art, the music, the word of God, it all just goes together as one big ball of excitement and it's captivating and it draws me every time. There's just a lot of creativity in our home. And I remember one time, my brother and sisters, we made this music album. I mean, we wrote all the lyrics, we found all the background music, and just put it all together. That's the kind of thing we did. And and I thought, everybody did this. I thought that after school, everybody just went home and started <laughs> doing creative things and uh, having fun like that with their siblings, which, you know, I guess now I know that's not true. I mean, I kind of knew back then that there were some things different about our family First of all, we were Christians, and my family, we believed the Bible literally. We studied it verse by verse. But I just remember the other kids in school. I just went to the public school there. You know, that was not important to them. The other thing that was different about our family is that we're a mixed family. So my dad is Scandinavian, and he grew up in Minnesota. And my mom is Black. She grew up in Ohio. So that, I knew that was different about us too. I knew that we weren't exactly like everybody else, but there's one thing that I remember that really I knew was different. Uh, My 
younger sister had come home in middle school and she had announced to my mother that she had tried out for the Christmas program and she got a solo part. And I was so excited for her. And I just knew that my mom was going to grab her and hug her and congratulate her. And she didn't. Instead, she looked her right in the eye and she said, don't you dare get up on that stage unless you have something to say. And for a quiet person like me, I never forgot that. (laughs) I know my mom didn't say it to me, but she said it to me. She didn't know she was saying it. My sister sang, I mean, she sang Emmanuel God with us. And I just had chills the whole time I was listening to her. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. She has an amazing voice. She did it. (laughs) You know, it sounds like your mom's point wasn't, don't ever be on a stage. But when you do make it meaningful. That's at least how it kind of sound sounds to me like sort of don't don't waste your time on the stage. Don't waste your message. Don't waste your voice, your your communication. That when you get that opportunity, make it meaningful. <laughs> Suddenly I'm reminded of the poster that's in so many elementary teachers classrooms that says before you speak think and it has the acronym T-H-I-N-K, and the idea is that before students say anything, they have to think if it's true, if it's helpful, if it's important, sometimes it'll say insightful, if it's necessary, that's always a big one, <laughs> and if it's kind. It, it sounds like maybe in some ways that was a little bit of what your mom was trying to say. If, if you're going to put your voice out there, in whatever way that looks, make sure it's kind and necessary and important and true and helpful and, and, and those things. Yeah, and that's why I love language, because that's exactly how I heard it. Yeah, you know, that was powerful to me. And speaking of posters, posters in schools, I saw a poster in high school, totally changed my life. And for those of you who are younger, maybe, and you don't know, that's how we used to uh, announce things <laughs> when we were in high school. Um, we would just, we would make a million copies of a piece of paper and tape it up on the wall <laughs> and said, come to this meeting. And I, I saw the paper. It was for the Rotary Club Foreign Exchange Student Program. And I saw it coming out of the bathroom and I saw it going into the cafeteria and the art room. I mean, even I remember the feeling thinking about it right now like a fire inside of me. I had to go. Looking back is when you know, okay, that was God. I had to go. That was Holy Spirit in me saying, you need to go. So anyway, I go to this meeting and before any of you think that I'm a super genius or anything, I was the only one in the meeting. (laughs) I had moved from this academia in New Hampshire where it was it was difficult in the public school system for me to get a B, you know, it was work. But I moved to Ohio where it wasn't so much of that. And so, and, you know, just going to public school, I was the only one in this meeting with the Rotary Club for the foreign exchange program. And there were maybe four of these Rotary Club men in suits and maybe a couple teachers there. And so since I was the only one in the meeting, surprise, surprise, they chose me to represent my town to study abroad that year. So I chose to go to Japan, and it totally changed my life. One interesting thing that, I, that happened while I was abroad, I got to go through the process of language acquisition all over again. It was like I was a newborn baby, and I totally, in that time, learned so much about myself and how I learn language. But being in Japan was very difficult. I was sent to a rural town where nobody could speak English, And I was 16 years old. I had no choice but to learn the language. And after three months, I did understand a lot of what people were saying. I was going to school with them, you know, living with them. But I wasn't, after three months, I wasn't confident to speak it myself. I just didn't have that confidence. So I waited. As I mentioned before about me being shy when I was little, my parents had told me that that when I was a baby, I didn't babble like other the other kids. I didn't jabber much. But all of a sudden, one day, I was talking in complete sentences. So 
when I went to Japan and after three months, I was understanding a lot of what people were saying, but I still didn't want to talk. It kind of reminded me of that, of being a baby, <laughs> learning English. But this time I was a lot older and I could process what I was going through a little better. And for me, I didn't want to speak poorly. So I just kept listening to the native speakers and I waited until I could get the words right. That was important to me. In the meantime, my host parents, the teachers, the Rotary Club members, all these Japanese people around me, they were saying to people, well, she doesn't understand. She can't really speak Japanese or she's shy. And there it was again. I did not like being called shy. It felt like I was reliving my childhood all over again. I was very frustrated as a 16-year-old thinking, here we go again. Even in a foreign land, halfway across the world, everybody thinks I'm this shy, stupid girl who doesn't know what's going on, just like back at home. I was even hard on myself about it, and I just kept asking myself, why can't I just talk? But I didn't. And, you know, once I'd been in Japan for six months, my host mom had overheard me speaking with my Japanese classmates. And she just stopped me and said, all right, that's enough. You can definitely speak Japanese. You're speaking in complete sentences and your accent is perfect. Now, basically what she was saying is it's time for you to just speak Japanese. You can do it. And from that day forward, I did. But that experience taught me so much about myself. And I think it's very important to how I got to writing and this sort of thing, because it told me that I am very thoughtful about my words, whether I was a baby learning English or whether I was a high school student learning Japanese. I learned language the same way. I wanted to get the words and the accents right. I wanted the inflection and the rhythm to be right. All of this mattered to me. So the question is why? Why did that matter so much to me? Well, I think it goes back to who I am at my core. And I did not understand this as a teenager. I didn't definitely didn't understand it as a child. I think now looking back, I can see that life for me has been a conversation with my creator for one thing. And the other thing is that I love people. I love people so much. And there's so many shy people out there who love people, who want to be with people. But the fact that maybe there's something like, there's somewhat like me and people, because they're quiet, people think they don't like people. Well, I loved people. I loved the word of God. And so I think I love language because I can take that experience that I had this morning when I was just walking outside or this thought or this idea that I had. And by the way, when I'm talking to God, I don't have to use words. He understands me. He, he reads my heart. And so that is another reason why my relationship with him is so precious, because words have always been important to me. And I didn't want, I can never get it wrong with him. He always is looking right at my heart. He doesn't look at the words and misunderstand me. But I can take that experience that I had, even though another person hasn't been there, I can somehow communicate it using words, using language. So that's why language is so important to me. And then, of course, the living word of God, we get to hear what God wants to tell us. I don't know what he wants to tell us, but if we just read that Bible, he tells us. And to me, that's so amazing. It is amazing. God is amazing. I love how you noted that God understands our hearts, regardless of our words. I always hear people criticize their own ability to pray as if their words aren't eloquent enough, which is just so far from the truth. And it breaks my heart to think that anybody out there thinks that he or she isn't able to pray properly or that their prayers aren't good enough. Listeners, please be encouraged. God is not grading your prayers. He loves to be in conversation with you no matter how your words fall into place, whether you sing them, write them, think them, speak them, it doesn't matter. He already knows your heart, but he just thrills when you engage in conversation with him, however that looks. So Sandra, you spent a year in Japan during high school. 
but what happened when you came back home, came back home to America and got ready to start college? I came back to America and I realized that I was actually pretty good at Japanese. And so I went and studied Japanese in college. I got a degree in Japanese studies. And college for me was like a whirlwind where I'm in my own country, but I was, you know, always traveling back and forth during those years in college to Japan. And I was taking these monstrous Japanese proficiency exams where you would, you know, register, pay in advance, and you'd travel to Chicago. And then for another one, you'd travel to New York for speech contests and these sort of things. And and I did get one scholarship to study at Reitaku University in Japan for a year, but it was just exhilarating. You know, I was always being pushed to try more, try harder and do better. And it was very fun for me. So I got married right after finishing college. It was like the weekend after I finished college. I actually missed my graduation because we were on our honeymoon. <laughs> it just wasn't that important to me. <laughs> So then my husband and I moved to Oregon and we went to a Bible school together in Silverton and we just started a family, started having kids and we ended up having 12 kids. It's been since then, it's been 20 years of pregnancies, nursing and diapers. And really early on, I realized that I needed something that was for me. You know, after that whirlwind of college, you know, I needed something to stretch me and to challenge me. And if this makes any sense, I wanted something that took a long time to complete, something that I could do maybe in small increments a little bit because I was getting interrupted a lot, you know, <laughs> a little here, a little there. And then after maybe a year, I would have a finished product because also, you know, it takes nine months to wait for that, <laughs> wait for that baby to come. So you're just waiting in your nerves and you need something. So the first thing I took up was knitting. And then I needed something more than that, though, you know, something a little more to push me more, which I still like knitting. That's pretty nice. <laughs> but after spending so much time struggling through a foreign language and and, you know, I remember the first year that I was there in high school and I'm leaving. I was going to the airport to leave Japan you know, after that year. And I was talking to a little boy who was maybe 10. And I had no idea what he was saying. And I was like, all that work, all that time studying, and I'm not even as good as a fifth grader. <laughs> so that's kind of my thought here when I was having babies, you know, and taking care of the home is, you know, I wasn't even as good as a fifth grader in Japanese, but I have my own language. And so that was kind of the the thought that I had. Why don't I use my own language and do something with that, I'm a lot better at English and my own language than at Japanese, you know. I so appreciate that you are commenting about that drastic lifestyle change from traveling the world and speaking multiple languages to raising 12 children. Because I know for a lot of women, even if it's just one child, that sudden shift it can be very much like whiplash. And all of the sudden... Her whole world revolves around this small human. And I know so many young moms feel like they lose themselves in that process. And sometimes they feel guilty for that because they think, I should want my whole world to be about this baby or these babies. But where did I go? Where's me? And it's just, I'm glad you mentioned that because it makes it just all the more authentic. And so many moms will resonate with that. And that they can be encouraged that if you could find yourself and find something with 12 children, they probably can <laughs> with presumably less <laughs> children in their household, that it's encouraging and it reminds women that they are not alone and that, that you understand that. So at the time that you were refocusing on English and what you could do with your native language... Maybe could you just sort of paint the picture? Did you have all 12 kids at this point? Like, what was your what was your daily life like? And then how did you how did you even begin to transition into taking those next steps to have something for you? It's one thing to say, have something for yourself, new moms. But how do you actually do that in between the laundry and the diapers and the car trips and the phone calls and, and everything else? 
how do you actually do that? How did you do it? You know, it is one child at a time. <laughs> I didn't have all 12 at once. That's probably the thing that, I mean, even if you have anybody who has 12 kids, to say that you have 12 kids means that some of them are probably not even living at home anymore because they grow up. But it all starts with one kid. And, you know, I would say that you're right, though. You, we are, mothers are a picture of Christ. We give ourselves for somebody else. And I think that for me, it was the first time I remember when I was pregnant with my second child and I was feeling so sick and my little, little one was running around on the floor. And I remember thinking, my mom went through this. <laughs> it was the first time I had appreciation for what she did, you know, because she gave herself for us and we give ourselves for our children. But then resurrection happens. <laughs> I mean, we're still there. So yeah, I don't know what that looked like. It was a little bit at a time. And, and as I go, you're going to really see that it was one page at a time kind of thing. Very much for me. Now when I'm writing, I can write a book in a few months, but this, at this stage, what I'm talking about was years to get through a book. But I, it was very rewarding because I, I had a goal and I was, I was heading in that direction. So I considered writing, but back at this stage, early stage, I didn't even know what to write. So the first step that I took is to start reading what was out there. One of the first things I needed to decide was whether I was going to write fiction or nonfiction. And since I'm a Christian, I was leaning very heavily towards nonfiction because I figured, well, I want truth. I want truth to get out there. So naturally, I gravitated toward nonfiction. And I started writing, though, and my writing, you know, growing up, I was the oldest girl. There were two two under me, and then I have an older brother. And I just remember they would always tell me, you're so bossy. You're not the boss of my life. That sort of thing. I hated that, too. <laughs> So I didn't want to be that, but I started writing nonfiction and it felt so preachy. It felt so much like that. It felt like I was telling them, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. And for me, just nonfiction wasn't flowing. But in the meantime, I was reading and I came across this fiction book. I think somebody had recommended it because I was knitting and it was about a circle of friends who knit together. And I thought, oh, you know what? And this is what I thought. I'm always so busy, like you said, with the kids and tired. And I'm just going to read this book for enjoyment, for entertainment. You know, I didn't know what was happening with my writing, but I sat back, I read this book and I was just relaxed when I read it and I enjoy knitting. So I was enjoying the parts about knitting, but very soon I realized this book is clearly not about a group of friends who knit. It has a message that it's trying to get across. And yes, in this book, there were, and the book, it was fiction, it, you know. So yes, it did have friends who got together. Yes, they did knit together. But by the end of the book, the message was very clearly, it is okay to have an abortion if you didn't plan to get pregnant in the first place. And that message hit me really hard and probably harder because I was pregnant at the time and had so many little ones. But I totally did not agree with that message. But I'm glad I read the book because it taught me a very important lesson that fiction is so valuable. And I understood why people call fiction the lie that tells the truth. The people in this knitting book, they weren't real. The story, you know, it didn't really happen. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't even remember their names or really any of the main events that happened in the story. But to this day, I have not forgotten the message. I still remember that message. Fiction is very powerful. And I even still, I think, how many people have read that book and internalized its message? So it just showed me, too, how fiction shapes cultures. It wakes us up when we're in that relaxed state like I was. Because so many times... We go to entertainment, whether it's TV, movies, or a novel. We just, maybe it's at the end of a long work day. Maybe it's on our weekend when we just want to be entertained. And we just reach for that entertainment. 
we kick our feet up and we are open and relaxed. And when we're in that state, it's very easy to take in whatever is being offered. And it's fiction anyway. (laughs) It's not real, but it does make us feel something. Fiction is meant to make us feel something and it, it changes us. Just imagine how many messages we're taking in all that fiction we consume compared to the nonfiction. Well, I learned the power of fiction and I never turned back. So I started writing fiction. I started writing my first novel and I was very secretive about it at first. My husband, it's kind of hard to keep it a secret though when I'm always writing and my husband's looking over my shoulder. What are you doing? (laughs) So he knew I was writing a novel, but I never told him the storyline. All the while, I was still reading. I was reading a lot of fiction to try to, to copy the rhythm and the story arc of what these published authors were doing. And then finally, I did finish the book, and that feeling of finishing a novel is just so amazing. I just felt so accomplished. I never did let anyone see that book, and I don't think I ever will. I hear that a lot of authors do that. You know, I I still haven't told my husband anything about it. He knows the names of the characters from that book. And by the way, we did name one of our sons after one of those (laughs) main characters in the book. I just like the name. But that's all he knows. And I felt like I could do better. You know, that was going to be the the practice run. And then I moved on, started writing my second novel, which I called See You Saw. And with the second novel, I got a little braver for two reasons. First of all, because I was learning from the mistakes that I'd made in the first novel, where I read through it afterwards and said, oh, I could have done better on that. And so I just started from scratch with my second novel. And then I had a confirmation. I I feel like I had confirmation from God about my writing during this time while I was writing the second one. And I compare it to Hannah, the mother of Samuel in the book of Samuel, how she didn't know what God had planned for her, but she knew he had something. And she kept going to the house of God, the place of God. She kept coming no matter what. She kept coming. So I kept coming, you know, to church and I didn't know what God had planned for me, but I knew that he had something and I knew that I had to get to the house of God to find out or to get help with finding that out. So guidance or confirmation came at a baby shower, actually, at church. And (laughs) it wasn't mine. It was somebody (laughs) else's. I had written a few words and scripture verse on a card for the new mom and she was opening gifts and things at the baby shower and she just kind of silently read the card to herself and then she stops and looks up and says looks at me and says you always write such touching words and then the other ladies in the room chimed in and said yeah that's right she does doesn't she and she always picks the perfect verse and I was not expecting that. It was not my baby shower. And I wasn't expecting to be the center of attention like that. But for me, in the house of God, with these other Christian ladies, just speaking into my life, kind of telling me that's who you are. I felt like that was confirmation that I was on the right path with writing. And that's what I encourage other writers to do. Come to the place of God, listen to the Christians around you. And what are they saying about you? You know, So I finished my second novel, and I said I was getting bold, so I let my good friend read it, and she was very excited as she started reading first 60 pages or so, and she would call me, and I couldn't believe how fast she was getting through the book, but then after 60 or 100 pages, she wasn't going through it as fast, and her enthusiasm kind of waned, and I asked her, and by the way, this is where a good, honest friend comes in handy. (laughs) She was very honest. And she said, well, it was just kind of unbelievable for me. She said, I was looking forward to, well, what's going on? What's this mystery? And how are we going to get it solved? And then when she saw the answer, she said, well, that's not believable. (laughs) Well, I was crushed. I was crushed when she said that. But here's where my faith in God comes in, because I knew that God is the God who takes that crushing moment and he doesn't take it away. He changes it into the very 
thing that we want or need. So he gives beauty for ashes. And the example is the cross. Just look at the cross. What can anybody do worse than killing God? But he took that worst thing and turned it into the best thing. And now he says, do you want to know how much I love you? If you want to know how much I love you, you have to look at the cross. And I just think we would be hopeless without the cross. It's the most amazing thing. But if he had, if it hadn't been horrible at first, he couldn't have turned it into something good. So I kept thinking about my friend's words. And soon I realized the reason why Sue saw this book, the second novel of mine, felt unrealistic to her. It was because I wasn't writing for her. I was writing for a younger crowd. And I, to be honest, I was disappointed at first. But I realized, you know, the length of the book, how many words it was, and the age of the characters, all of that. I was writing for young adults. So I was writing young adult fiction. And then I realized also that it wasn't contemporary fiction either. So contemporary is when this could be happening to me or my mom or the neighbor down the road. I was writing dystopian fiction. And so this horrible thing when my friend told me it was unbelievable turned into something great because I I had discovered my genre and my audience, which you kind of need that when you write. (laughs) Who am I writing to? So now with my audience in mind, I was able to narrow my reading down also to young adult dystopian as well. So I've been reading a lot of, of those kind of books. And by the way, if you're listening, if you're a younger person who likes to read dystopian fiction, or if you have a daughter, granddaughter, grandson, or a son who enjoys futuristic books like this, I have made a list of a lot of clean young adult dystopian fiction novels that, you know, they're not Christian, but they're published novels that you can buy on Amazon or whatever. And I I have that list on my website, AnnikaKlandru.com, because a lot of times I would get parents asking me, can I, can you recommend some, you know, books without the sex and the swearing and, and all of that vulgar stuff? And I mean, they're not completely clean, but I, I will let my children read them. I love that. I think parents are looking for those kinds of things all the time. So we will have the link to your website and the episode notes. So listeners just click on the link. We'll have that for you. So at this point, you've written two novels. And now, as I understand, there's a third novel in your in your writing story. So I'm going to hand that back over and let you tell us about that. Right. So the third novel that I wrote was called Spoken For. And once it was done, I started talking to an older woman at church about creative writing. She was interested in creative writing. And so I told her that I had written some books. Well, she read Spoken For and she loved it. And then she encouraged me to write more. So I did. And she became my number one fan. And it's just so amazing, the the idea of knowing that you have somebody who is looking forward to reading your book. Writing with that in mind makes all the difference. And I did write another novel, and that one I called Tainted Mercy. She read that one, too. She went back and read my second novel, See You Saw. At this point, she was encouraging me to get published, but I had no idea. I told her, I I would love to. I don't know how that's done. I don't even know where to begin. So she said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God will show you the next step for you to take to get these books published. And right around that time, our family moved. And it would still be a couple years, though after we moved until I realized that the neighbor couple houses down, we knew her, we knew she was a Christian, but I didn't know she was writing historical fiction. So she, my new neighbor was the answer to prayer that the older woman at church had prayed over me. This new neighbor, she became my mentor and she would edit my novels and how we did it is we did it on through email and I would send her two of my chapters she would send them back edited and we'd just keep going two by two. She introduced me to the Oregon Christian Writers group and I also joined her critique group. That was just very helpful. I mean, almost everything that I've learned in the last five years has been through these these groups of people. 
she also helped, she coached me and helped and prepared me for the Oregon Christian Writers Summer Conference. And I went. It's, you know, going to three-day conference like this is not cheap. And so you want to go prepared, but it's a great opportunity to be able to talk to agents and editors. So I was well prepared and it was just the most amazing experience. I pitched my book, Spoken For, to agents and editors, and a couple of them even asked for the full manuscript. I mean, even the ones who did not ask for it were very polite and very helpful. They were always giving me tips, even if they said no. They said, here's what I want you to work on, which is very valuable. You know, you can't pay for something like that. So there was an acquisitions editor from Zondervan who was there and I pitched my book to her. Now the problem with spoken for, I did not know the rules of writing young adult fiction before I went to the conference. So one of the problems was my main character was too young. She was 11 years old. And generally when you're writing young adult, you want to have your main character be a couple of few years older than the people who are reading. So generally, readers would be 14 or 15 years old. So the woman at Zondervan said to me, well, if you make your main character 17 years old, just write from her point of view and rewrite the whole story and send it to me. Well, in these meetings with editors, of course, you're nervous the whole time. You only get 15 minutes. And my time was just about up. I stood to go And I thought, wait a second. And I turned around and said, now, if I rewrite my book, it's going to take a few months. And she, I said to her, how interested are you? And she looked at me and said, oh, I am very interested. So I rewrote the book. It did not take a few months. It took almost a year by the time I rewrote and edited through the whole thing. It took a very long time to rewrite the book. It would have been easier to write a whole nother book. By the time I got around to sending it to her, she no longer worked there. So (laughs) what can you do? What can an author do in this situation? Well, you can either go to another writing conference and pitch your book all over again, or you can write a new book. So I I chose option B. I wrote another book. And once that book was edited, I pitched it at the 2019 Oregon Christian Writers Summer Conference. And a lot of people were interested in that book as well. And in fact, everybody I pitched the book to asked for the full manuscript. And now I am waiting. I'm, that was the last conference, by the way, that we had in person before this whole COVID thing hit. I don't know what we're going to do now because those in-person conferences are so valuable. And we do have a lot online. So it's going to that for the next, it looks like the next year or so. But since that conference, I've written even another novel and I've started submitting that agent's online and through Twitter, Twitter pitch parties and things like that. I'm still on my journey, on my writing journey. So it's not over for me, but writing for publication takes a a lot of time, but I want people to know that you can do it. You can become a published author. You know, authors are just normal people who keep on trying, keep, keep on working at it. For me, pursuing publication so far has taken five years and it's, that's average. I've heard a lot of published authors say that it took seven, eight years for them to get published. But writing just novels in general, I've been doing that for about 15 or 16 years. Right now, I do not have an agent. I haven't won any awards. And I don't have a book deal yet. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to follow my journey and find out how it ends up, You can sign up for my newsletter on my website, monicaclandrew.com, or you can follow me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of that is under my pen name, Annika Clandrew. And we will have that website link in the episode notes so that anybody, whether you are an aspiring writer or an interested reader, can follow along and, and follow the journey. One thing I appreciate so much is that you're sharing a journey that's still very much in the middle of it. That you're not sharing from the perspective of, well, I've 
won all these awards and published all these books and reached the summit of my writing career. And now let me look down at the past and tell you how I got there. You're really opening up a story that in many ways, it's a vulnerable story because you're still, you're still in the middle of it. You're still on that road, but feeling a purpose in what you're doing, feeling called to what you're doing is a conversation that I know you and I had um, quite a while back. And I think it's so important. And I, and I'm hoping that you can sort of touch on that. And really, this is to give some hope and encouragement to anybody who's maybe thinking about writing, whether that be fictional novels or articles or screenplays or, or any number of the things that you can write. Why? Why is it important for people to write? And specifically, why is it important for Christians to get into the field of writing? Yeah, it is terrifying to sit here and say, I have nothing, <laughs> no accomplishments, but join me on this journey and see what amazing <laughs> things God's going to do. It is a 100% faith, but it's faith in seeing what God has done in the past, knowing the kind of God. And you know what? I might not ever become that published author who I envision in my mind, but what I can do today is I can support other Christian authors. And that's really why I'm here today. It's my conviction that right now, more than anything, America needs Christian entertainment. We need a Christian entertainment industry that is completely separate from the world. A lot like our music industry, because I think we're doing so great in the area of music. I have not had to go to the world for music for the past 20 years. And I want to see a Christian entertainment industry where we don't have to go to the world for our TV, for our movies, for our novels. And I believe that all of that starts with good writing. We need writers. We need to encourage writers. So, I mean, Calvary Mac now has a writing group and we're pretty new. But the goal of this group is to encourage Christian authors on every step of their journey. So if you are a writer, or if you saw yourself in any part of my story, and you don't know, maybe you don't know what you like to write, maybe you don't want to write novels at all, maybe you want to write for TV or something, whatever it is, if you're a writer, if you have questions, maybe you need support or guidance, I encourage you, re reach out to us, join the writing group at Calvary Mac, and you can reach out to Jessica or anybody on staff here at Calvary Mac, and they can direct you in how to get in contact with us. But if you're not a writer, if you're a reader, you are just as important as the writers out there. I just encourage you to support Christian authors and keep listening to the Story Night podcast because the writing group has partnered with Jessica Campbell, and we are planning to have some more local Christian authors to tell their story on the podcast. And I hope that you ladies listen. And, you know, thanks for having me today. It's been a great experience. And anybody who wants to reach out to me, I would love to communicate with you. I could talk forever about writing. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. And just to reiterate, you do not have to be living in McMinnville or part of the Calvary Mac family to reach out. We are so happy to get connected with you wherever you are. And that's, that's the beauty of communication. Um, we really do have a lot of amazing ways to communicate today. And I love this sort of call to action of let's, let's bring that communication, that let's bring that language, let's bring that art and writing, let's bring all of it through a Christian worldview. Let's bring it where it's clean. <laughs> I know, I know so many friends, even if, even if they aren't Christians, really appreciate Christian music because they don't have to worry about what their kids are listening to or even what their own ears are listening to. It's just, oh, some, something is clean and it's, and it's positive or it's, or it's good or it's pure, you know, fill in the blank. So I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate how you have a heart to help others on this journey as well. And you're right. This dream of, having more and more clean, quality Christian writing in the world it takes both writers and readers, and in this case, listeners. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this particular story. As we close, um, I'd love to ask you to pray for us, and specifically for those budding writers. 
because you mentioned something at the very beginning that really uh, hit home, and, and I think probably hit home with a lot of others. You've been having a conversation with God your whole life, and there are probably a lot of women that would like to have a conversation with him, but don't know how, don't know what that looks like. It sounds good, but maybe they aren't sure where to start. And so if if you would pray for for every listener to find that conversation with God, and then for all of those budding writers, or maybe even seasoned writers, just praying for their journey and that, that God would speak through their words. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for having me today. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for for Calvary Chapel. Thank you for this podcast. And I pray, Lord, for everybody who's listening, that you will just speak to them in a similar way, how you've spoken to me. I pray, Lord, that you'll convict those people who need to, to hear from you today. And I don't know what you're saying to each heart. I know, Lord, that there are people who are hurting and they don't know why, but I, I pray that you will give them beauty for ashes. I pray that you will keep this pain from, or these hard times from being wasted. And I just pray that you will call out the writers, Lord. I pray that you will call out the young writers, especially, that you will give them confidence and just to know that we need your words. Your words are so very important and you can do this. You can be published, but you don't have to do it alone. I pray that you will just partner seasoned writers with new writers. And I pray for that Christian entertainment industry, Lord, just like with the music industry. And I know the music industry is not perfect, but at least we have it. Right now, we have nothing that we can go to that's high quality, that we can just know that it's completely Christian. I pray for that Christian entertainment industry, Lord, that you will help those writers who are writing now to just strengthen them, give them endurance for the long haul, and that you'll give them the words to say and help help all of us writers to get better at the craft of writing. Teach us, give us good teachers, give us good ideas, Lord. And I pray for the readers that you will direct them to authors and say, here's a good book, <laughs> and that we will share these books. But I just pray that it doesn't stop at books. I pray that they will be TVs and movie. And Lord, I know that it's fiction, and I know it's just fiction, but this is the lie that tells the truth, Lord. And I pray that you'll give us the right words to say, to represent you and honor you in everything we do, Lord. I pray that everybody listening out there will just do everything they do as if they're doing it for you yourself, Lord. I thank you for this conversation with God. If there's anybody out there who who doesn't know you, Lord, I just pray that you'll show yourself to them. I pray that you'll open the word to them. And I just pray that your will be done in all of our lives. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much, Sandra, Annika, <laughs> for opening your writing story and your writing journey to us. Thank you for praying for our listeners. And I look forward to following your story. And thank you for all that you are doing with within Calvary Mac. Thank you for leading the Bible study for so many years. And thank you for starting up the Christian writing group that we've, we've got going now. Thank you, ladies, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this story and that you join us next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Mm-hmm.